Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I'm Monica Crowley, and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here on this Thursday as we're getting ready to close out yet another week in Biden's America. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Don't forget to follow me on social media. On Instagram, I am at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter and True Social, I am at Monica Crowley. You can also shoot me an email about this show or anything else. Let me know what's on your mind. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. I read them all, I see them all, and I love hearing from you guys. All right, next week, a couple of big shows coming up here on the Monica Crowley podcast. We're going to be joined by some major podcast hosts who have a lot to say about a lot of different things. These people are pure fire. We're going to be joined by Mel Kay one day. We're going to be joined by Roan and the guys from Steak for Breakfast. (laughs) By the way, I've done both of those podcasts. They are amazing. They are pure fire. They are total truth tellers as we are here on this show. They are incredible and they're going to bring it next week. So in addition to covering all of the breaking news coming at us, including Hawaii on fire, which is really, I mean, this is an unbelievable story. Looks like an apocalypse on the gorgeous island of Maui. I mean, what is going on? What is happening? Are these natural occurrences? Is this arson? Is this something else? Is this an excuse for the climate change maniacs to to advocate for more regulation and lockdowns and everything else that we suspect is coming? We're, we're going to talk about a lot of this and more next week, including all the latest politics. But we got big, big shows as usual coming up. Later here today, speaking of big shows, we're going to be joined by billionaire John Katsimatidis. He's a major, major player, uh, came from nothing was born in Greece, literally came to the U.S. at six months old, 
with nothing. His parents had nothing. And he built out the American dream to the point where he, his net worth is well over $3 billion, maybe more. He's also one of the nicest people you will ever meet. And he's full of common sense. He's got a new book out telling all of us how we can all become billionaires. It's never too late. But does the American dream still exist? We're going to talk to him about all of this and more. This is a conversation you do not want to miss. But first, the Monica Memo. American tyrants on a rampage. In the last 24 hours or so, we have learned a couple of different things. We've learned a lot of things, but three things really jump out to me. Number one, the January 6th, remember the January 6th committee? How full of shit they were? Total liars. Well, the January 6th Star Chamber destroyed evidence and records relating to their quote-unquote investigation. To all of the committee's work, they destroyed evidence and records. Now, of course, this is totally illegal, and of course, it's totally unheard of. You've got members of Congress saying, never in our lives did we ever hear anything like this. Congressional records, uh, congressional committees' evidence, it's all locked away. It's preserved basically forever. So that if historians or journalists or anybody else, the general public, want to go see what a committee has done, you can. It's archived. Look, they raided Mar-a-Lago because the National Archives were all freaked out, or so they said, that Donald Trump was keeping all kinds of classified material and other things. So they literally raided his house and indicted him over it. But you've got the January 6th Star Chamber with all kinds of classified material, and now they're saying, oh, whoops-a-daisy, we, we destroyed it. We, we don't know where it is. Can't find it. You know, the FBI does this all the time now. The DOJ does it all the time now. This is just par for the course. This is what they do. This is their MO. It's hit-and-run lies, and then they destroy all the records so that you can't prove that it's lies. And this is exactly why they have destroyed, look, Mrs. Clinton with the bleach bit and the hammer with the blackberries and deleting, oh, whoopsie-daisy, we deleted over 30,000 emails. This is what the left does. Obstruction of justice all day long. Destruction of evidence all day long. This is what they do. And in this J6 Star Chamber case, it's all about depriving President Trump of access to potentially exculpatory evidence, which could vindicate him. Can't have that. Got to send the man to prison for the rest of his life, so destroy all the evidence that could uh, vindicate him. Proof that he is telling the truth. Mm-hmm. So that's story number one over the last like 24 hours that has caught my eye about American tyrants on a rampage. Story number two... Special counsel, this political hitman, Jack Smith, got a secret search warrant back in January to rummage through President Trump's Twitter account, including apparently his direct messages. Now, knowing the man as I do, he doesn't even do email. 
when you get a note from President Trump, it's literally like if you liked a tweet of mine or a column of mine, like my column last week at Newsweek, he will he will have one of his assistants like print it out, and then with a sharpie, he'll write a really sweet note. I've got a bunch of them. Okay. So he doesn't do email. He doesn't do text. So direct message. I really doubt Donald Trump was DMing anybody. He's not sliding into people's DMs. But the fact that Jack Smith got the secret search warrant just to rifle through his Twitter account is absolutely outrageous. And they didn't even tell Trump or his lawyers. The third big thing uh, pointing to American tyrants on a rampage is that the House Oversight Committee, our friends over there, uh, it's led by Chairman James Comer. He's been on this show. Got to have him back. Uh, They, in the last 24 hours, revealed through bank records and other documentation that the Bidens got over $20 million from Russian, Ukrainian, and Kazakh oligarchs while he was vice president. Now, this is just the $20 million that we know about so far. That's number one. And number two, we haven't even gotten to the Chinese money yet. We haven't even gotten to the Romanian money yet. And God knows where else uh, the spigots were turned on. We're not even close to that yet. So well over $20 million from Russian, Ukrainian, and Kazakh oligarchs while Joe Biden was vice president. So in other words, actual Russian collusion actual foreign collusion, actual bribery and treason, the two specific crimes laid out in the U.S. Constitution for, you guessed it, impeachment. We all know the phrase high crimes and misdemeanors. Well, that's tacked on after bribery, treason, and other high crimes and misdemeanors. Founders deliberately left that undefined so that as we went through history, presidents and others, if they committed other high crimes and misdemeanors as to be judged by their peers in the moment, in the era, they also could be impeached. But bribery and treason are two specific ones that the founders uh, decided were so egregious that they needed to be absolute, immediate impeachment and removal from office. Joe Biden is an American tyrant on a rampage, so is everybody else in this administration. So are all of our institutions, DOJ, FBI, DHS, IRS, all of them are on a rampage inflicting grotesque tyranny on all of us. Not just Donald Trump. Again, he's the ultimate symbol of this, but it really is extended to all of us. And it's going to get worse. This leads us to the big question, who is actually running the federal government? That question has been swirling since Biden came into office because he's always been a corrupt hack. Now he's a corrupt hack with dementia. I said it last night on Hannity. I've said it again on this show repeatedly, and it bears repeating. He's always been a corrupt hack. Now he's a corrupt hack with dementia. Every day he shows obvious signs of severe physical and mental decline. And I will remind you once again that dementia is a progressive disease. It never gets better. It only gets worse. 
and man, has he gotten worse. Every day is a new adventure in, what the hell did he say? Or what little girl did he sniff now? Most of the time, Biden doesn't even know what planet he's on. And it is absolutely unbelievable that a man who can't find his pants, never mind put them on, is fully carrying out his duties as commander-in-chief. Of course he's not. But as I said last night on Hannity, and I've said it here too, forget about the dementia and focus on the corruption. The dementia is like an easy excuse for people to continue to say, as they have said throughout Joe Biden's political career, they've thrown up their hands and they've gone, it's just Joe. And that's a way to, to explain away the corruption, to explain away the, the dementia, to explain away the gaffes. No, these aren't gaffes. Okay, this is dementia. But set aside the dementia. Don't allow that to be a distraction. Focus on two things. The absolute corruption that requires his impeachment and removal from office, like yesterday, Republicans, like yesterday, Get on it. Start subpoenaing people like Hunter Biden. Why the GOP has not yet subpoenaed Hunter Biden, I don't know. I know they're trying to build a case, and good for them for that. I know they want it solid, unlike the Democrats that just, you know, slapped Trump with an impeachment without any evidence, all lies, no case. They didn't care. But the Republicans very smartly have to build a case because they know the press is on the other side and will tear all of this to shreds unless it is airtight. So I get that. But time's a ticking here. All right. We're already mid-August, early to mid-August of 2023. We're just months away from the first ballots being cast in the presidential. You got to start cooking here with gas. Slapping Hunter and others with subpoenas. Get them in front of you, get them on the record, get them under oath. Set aside the dementia, focus on two things. One, the corruption, and two, which is what we're going to talk about right now, who is actually running the government because it ain't Biden. This brings us to this absolutely blockbuster piece in Tablet Magazine. Um, Go and find it. It's by David Samuels in which he interviewed the historian David Garrow. David Garrow, back in 2017, published a book about Barack Obama's early years called Rising Star, The Making of Barack Obama. And it didn't get any attention at the time because Donald Trump was coming in and it was under a blizzard of you know all the early chaos and everything else surrounding Trump. So nobody really focused on this book, which is a shame because it's chock-a-block with really eye-popping stuff about the early years of Barack Obama. And it points to, um, it points to many facts about Obama who just happened to stay in Washington, D.C. after leaving office. In fact, he's still there. Now we know why he stayed in Washington, because Barack Obama is running this show. We have long suspected it. I've been talking about it on this show for, you know, years since we started this show, but I've also been talking about it elsewhere for years, certainly since Biden came in. And now we've got evidence of some of it. 
all of the headlines and the commentary about this tablet interview focused on the gay sex stuff, you know, the really salacious stuff uh, from Obama's former girlfriends, including this letter he sent to one where he said, I fantasize all the time about making love to a man. Well, that's interesting. You know how the left is constantly trying to smear like Abraham Lincoln for being gay? They have no evidence. They, they've got nothing on that whatsoever. But all of our heroes, they try to smear in different ways. I thought being gay was great. Something to be celebrated by the left and, and by everybody, right? Well, why isn't Obama embracing this? There's no explanation here. Now, you could say, oh, he was young. He was experimenting. All right. Would be nice to see. Um, would be nice to really see a little bit of uh, explanation here. But anyway, I mean, I, I don't know any straight men who have fantasized regularly about that. Maybe you do. I, I've never heard that before in my life. So anyway, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it would be nice to have a little bit of an explanation right? So everybody was focused on that, but they really didn't focus, again, on the most important thing. Remember that Barack Obama um, buried his past before being elected president. My, my last book uh, was called What the Bleep Just Happened, and it focused on Obama's first term, and I really combed through the first term, everything from policy to personality, uh, personnel, everything is in that book. Go back and look at it, uh, because it really is quite something. I looked at it the other day. I was like, holy smokes. I really was on top of things here, and, and I wrote it really well. Very proud of that book. So go take a look at it. Um, but I was one of very few at the time who were taking apart Obama's past because he was a stranger. And our propaganda press never did any investigations into who Obama really was before being elected. Not at all. He was treated like a godlike figure who would bring hope and change and racial reconciliation as the first black president, right? Remember, I think it was Time Magazine had Obama as Jesus. Yeah, that was a good one. This messianic figure is going to deliver America out of its original sin of slavery. Key to all of this was that Obama wrote not one, but two memoirs before the age of, what, 42? Something like that. Who does that? Who writes memoirs before they're like 45? I'll tell you who. Somebody who wants to whitewash his past. Someone who does not want reporters and others digging into that past. Someone who wants to preempt any digging into his past by putting out their own story and then saying, see, you guys don't need to investigate my past. It's all here in black and white. And our lazy, corrupt propaganda press who all wanted him to win anyway, dutifully scooped up his made-up story and asked zero questions. So we elected a stranger, and for eight years, that stranger served as president of the United States, enacting all of the toxic communist poison that Biden is now continuing to enact. This is why they had to destroy and stop Trump. This continues to be the reason why they continue to try to do that. 
So we elected a stranger who remains a stranger to this day, except for this unbelievable book and an interview by David Garrell, who actually did go digging into Obama's past and his present. And what he found is absolutely staggering. Barack Obama's entire personal story is a fiction designed to get him to the White House to, in his exact words, quote, fundamentally transform America. At the time when he said that in 2007 and 2008, it was wrapped up in the hope and change bullshit. So no one stopped to ask, hmm, what does he mean by the fundamental transformation of the nation? Well, I did. I stopped to think about it. I talked about it all the time. I knew he meant Marxism, communism. Obama's biological father and his surrogate father, Frank Marshall Davis, and his white mother were all card-carrying communists. The apple didn't fall far from the tree, right? Obama himself is a card-carrying communist. He just dresses it up better. He's smoother. The super cool Harvard Law School black guy. But a communist nonetheless. Who chose the corrupt hack, Joe Biden of all people, to be his vice president. But he neither respected nor liked Biden ever. Remember his famous quote, don't underestimate Joe's ability to F things up. Biden was there because the hack would never eclipse the big star. And then Obama made sure his puppet was installed as the Democratic candidate, hello, James Clyburn, and installed as, quote, president. So he and his machine could get a third term to keep that fundamental transformation of America going. And now, here we are. Now, back to David Garrow's book and interview. This tablet article details what Obama is doing right now to basically run the government and make policy. We have all suspected this, but this article really lays it out in pretty stark terms. You know, we were talking on this show about uh, over the last like year plus about Susan Rice, how she is the conduit for the Obamas uh, into the Biden White House running domestic policy when she's a foreign policy person. But it's not just her. This administration is crawling with Obama people. And yes, a lot of people come from different administrations. And, you know, when Trump is reelected, I will certainly go back into that administration if he were to ask me to serve my country again. Um, But there are others, so many others who would go back in. So I understand that. But when you've got a former president running the show in an extra constitutional way, well, then you got a problem. Instead of this post-racial America, which Obama claimed was his dream and his vision, that was all lies, uh, you've got racial and gender identity becoming the only things that matter to our institutions and the people who run them. Those are the things that began in earnest during Obama's second term and have only ramped up under Joe Biden. 
the stuff that we're seeing now all began under Obama, not the communist revolution, which started in the 1930s and Obama was really sort of the, the, the velvet glove hammer to finish it off. But all of the really modern stuff, like the gender stuff, the racial animus, all of that really started with Obama. It really began with him, and it's continuing now. And again, this is why you can see why they consider Donald Trump such an interloper who needed to be destroyed. America's institutions are mostly communist now anyway, but they are being guided along by the federal government too. So the question is, who is guiding that? And it's pretty clear, uh, and Samuels, who wrote this piece in Tablet, and David Garrow, the historian who wrote the biography of Obama's early years, say this in this piece, that it's Obama. Samuels wrote that while the propaganda press have generally depicted Obama as somewhat aloof from the politics of today, he's detached, he's not interested in power, neither is Michelle, we'll get to that in a minute, Um, that their focus is on living the good life in Martha's Vineyard and Hawaii, and, and they're just living their best life with a dead body on their Martha's Vineyard property, But that they've the press is like, oh, he's he's done with politics. She's done with politics. It's all over. They're just you know living large and and being their best versions of themselves and doing things here and there, writing Netflix uh, specials, blah blah. Well, in actuality, as they point out in this piece, he and his most loyal lieutenants are heavily involved in running the federal government and politics in general, and not just on the Democrat side. Obama even has his dream scenario set up, where he's behind the scenes, but he's actually the real power behind the throne. Remember when he said this? Did you miss you? Did you ever look at something going on in the news and go, you know what the situation needs? Go Barack Obama. Yeah, I've said this before. I, I, I uh, people would ask me, knowing what you know now, do you wish like you had a, sec- a, a third term? Um, and I, I used to say, you know what? If if I could make an arrangement where um, I had a I had a, a stand in a front man or front woman, and, and they had an earpiece in, and I was just in my basement in my sweats, mm-hmm. looking through the stuff and then I could sort of deliver the lines but somebody else was uh, doing all the talking and ceremony I'd be fine with that yeah so now he actually brought it to pass where he's got a puppet and he's you know the Wizard of Oz behind the the curtain making all the action take place he is a political Cyrano de Bergerac off to the side feeding Joe Biden the lines You know, uh, the left always tells us who they are, what they believe, and what they intend to do. And it's our fault for not paying attention and focusing in on when they tell us this stuff. Now, remember, all other former presidents from the beginning of time, from George Washington on, leave the nation's capital once they're done. And frankly, they can't wait to get out of there because Washington is such a pit They can't wait to get out. This is an unspoken tradition. 
so as not to be breathing down the neck of your successor, making your successor uncomfortable, making your successor feel like they're being judged. It's presidential courtesy. Give your successor room to breathe. Well, not Obama. He stayed. And as this piece points out, the Obamas never left Washington, D.C. Quote, instead, they bought a large brick mansion in the center of Washington's Calorama neighborhood. Calorama, by the way, is a very exclusive, very expensive part of Washington, D.C. The piece goes on, violating a norm governing the transfer of presidential power, which has been breached only once in post-Civil War American history by Woodrow Wilson, who couldn't physically be moved after suffering a series of debilitating strokes, um, the author writes. Um, so the, the, uh, the violation of the peaceful transfer of presidential power, the movement of a former president out of Washington is part of that. So you know what the left is jumping all over Donald Trump for January 6th and wanting to block the peaceful transfer of power? Well, Obama moved up the street and basically did that and not a peep from the propaganda press or anybody else. Now, the authors here point out that the reason that the Obamas gave for staying in Washington was that their youngest daughter, Sasha, was still in high school and they wanted her to continue and stay in the posh Sidwell Friends private school. And so that was the reason that they gave. But Sasha has since gone on to college and the Obamas are still there. They didn't hightail it to the vineyard or Chicago or Hawaii. They've got houses in all those places because they got super rich off of the presidency like Joe Biden. Um, but they've remained, they've had that main place, and that's where they are the bulk of the time. Maybe not now during the summer, but uh, during the most of the rest of the year, they're in Washington. Samuels writes that it's clear that their decision to stay was not just a, quote, personal matter. Instead, the Obama stayed in Washington to orchestrate resistance to Donald Trump his successor, and to continue the work that he had been doing while in office. You know, the fundamental transformation of the nation, i.e. Marxism. Here's what he writes, quote, to an extent that has never been meaningfully reported on, the Obama served as both the symbolic and practical heads of the Democratic Party's shadow government that resisted Trump, another phenomenon that defied prior norms. The fact that these were not normal times could be adduced by an even passing glance at the front pages of the country's daily newspapers, which were filled with claims that the 2016 election had been stolen by Russia and that Trump was a Russian agent. Okay, so we all know that now that that was all a pack of lies, lies being driven by Barack Obama and his team, along with Mrs. Clinton, The tablet article goes on to depict Obama as the puppeteer pulling the strings to orchestrate the government's domestic and foreign policies with Biden just being the puppet in a weekend at Bernie's kind of situation where Biden is basically the dead figure being being directed what to say and what to do willingly. I mean, as much as he can because he's demented, but willingly. This is why they wanted the demented hack in there more easily controlled. 
Samuel writes, quote, when Obama turned up at the White House, staffers and the press crowded around him, leaving President Biden talking to the drapes, which is not a metaphor, but a real thing that happened. Yep, we've all seen that video, right? When Obama went to the White House on camera, Biden literally was talking to the curtains while Obama held court. And there was an article that I brought to you last week on this show where it said that uh, Obama and Biden have regular catch-ups. That was in a Washington Post piece, buried deep in there, regular catch-ups. Well, of course they do. Obama's running the country. You know, in dictatorships and authoritarian countries, this is like a routine thing where you've got a powerful, charismatic politician with no official power, but he's ruling from the shadows. That's pretty common. And this is exactly what Vladimir Putin did to hold on to power in Russia when he became constitutionally barred from serving a third consecutive term in office. He installed Dmitry Medvedev. He became president, but Putin was really the guy in charge. Puppet, puppeteer. It's a pretty effective way of pretending like you've got a free society and letting people believe that they have a say in that government. Sound familiar? Oh, yeah, you have a vote. The whole system is corrupted, but oh, yeah, you've got a vote. You've got a say. Sure. This is how they keep us in check. Give us a vote, but the vote doesn't really count, but you don't really know that because they bury all the fraud. Remember when Obama uh, was asked about American exceptionalism and he gave this ridiculous answer, but a very telling one? I wrote about it in my book, What the Bleep Just Happened. And he said, yeah, I believe in American exceptionalism the way the British believe in British exceptionalism or the Greeks believe in Greek exceptionalism. In other words, I don't really believe in American exceptionalism. Well, the collapse of American exceptionalism is here. And it's because, first of all, of this longtime communist assault, but it's because of Barack Obama. All roads lead to Barack Obama. Everything you are seeing now, economic Marxism with the radical redistribution of wealth, the wide open border, the indoctrination of our kids, the racial animus, the gender ideology and trans agenda, the collapse of American power abroad, the implosion of law and order, the weaponization of the DOJ, FBI, DHS, IRS, and more, all of it began in earnest under Barack Obama and the rigging of our elections, too. All roads lead to Barack Obama. He's been quiet, but never lose sight of that. Obama is the agent of chaos. Obama is driving the bus. Obama is the de facto president, and he will not be satisfied with just three terms. He wants more, not just for himself, but for what he can do with those additional terms. Progress, advance the fundamental transformation of the nation. In order to do that, he and his fellow travelers need more time. Which brings us to the possibility of Michelle running for president. We've covered that extensively on this show with our good friend Joel Gilbert. 
He did the documentary Michelle Obama 2024. Go check it out. More relevant now than ever, so go watch it. You can stream it wherever. Michelle Obama 2024. She may not want it in the end, and you know what? They may not need it because they're running the show via Biden. But if Biden bites the dust, they're going to need someone else who they can use in this way. Will Gavin Newsom allow himself to be puppeteered in this way by the Obamas? I don't think so. So we're left with Michelle. And we will watch and wait. Hate to scare you, but does us no favors to live in fantasy land. Got to be prepared for the worst case scenario. Don't know if it's going to come to pass, but we shall see. All right, let's hit a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about all of this and more with the blue-collar billionaire John Katsimatidis, who is just an absolutely wonderful guy. He's got a new book out on the American dream because he's lived it. And I want to ask him, does it still exist? Looking kind of dicey out there. We'll get John's read on this. This is not a conversation you want to miss. Sit tight. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Well, I'm absolutely delighted now to welcome a true American success story. John Katsimatidis is a hugely successful businessman. He's the owner, president, chairman, and CEO, those are a lot of titles, of the Gristidis and D'Agostino supermarkets, which are all over New York City. They are my local supermarkets. I'm in there almost every day. He's also the head of the Red Apple Group, which is a real estate and aviation company, and the chairman and CEO of the United Refining Company. If that weren't enough... He also owns my former longtime radio station in New York, the legendary heritage station, 
WABC, where he hosts a few really smart, very fun shows, Cats at Night and the Cats Roundtable. And if all of that weren't enough, he's also the author of the brand new book, which is part memoir, part life guidebook. It's called How Far Do You Want to Go? Lessons from a Common Sense Billionaire. John Katsimatidis joins us now. Hi, my friend. How are you, Monica? I understand you had two great weeks in, in Greece. And uh, and uh, I'll tell you, I love that Greek sun. I love that Greek water. And uh, my, my best vacations have been on the Greek islands, going island to island, and uh, just enjoying the sunshine, enjoying that beautiful water. And there's no sharks in the water. That's the good news. <laughs> John, I know I, I told you and, and your beautiful wife, Margot, that uh, we took our first trip to Greece. I've been so many other places in the world, but I had never been to Greece. And it was absolutely spectacular. The Greek islands are something to see. The vistas, the views, the water, just absolutely glorious. And then we did a couple of days in Athens. And uh, John, I think I may have told you, ancient ruins are my jam. I could climb ancient ruins all day, every day. So there's something about climbing the Acropolis. And we went to the island of Delos and climbed those uh, ancient ruins from the Greek Empire. It's just amazing. But the one thing we both just left out, John, is the amazing Greek food. Well, it's healthy. You know, <laughs> yes, how and to, delicious. How to live to be a hundred. You know, we have uh, Dr. Peter Michalos on my show every every week, and we specialize in telling all our friends and all our listeners how to live to be a hundred. And you start with the Mediterranean diet. And you start with a lot of olive oil, a lot of fresh fruits, a lot of fresh vegetables, and uh, fresh fish. Guess what? We'll both live to be 100. I, I, I will give you your 100th birthday party because I will be 120. <laughs> that sounds great. Can I tell you, I literally had a Greek salad every day while in Greece. And the Greek salads, while they're very good here in the U.S., a Greek salad in Greece is absolutely amazing. I came back and I had actually lost weight, even though I ate like a horse, moussaka, Greek salads, you name it. I was eating it in Greece, but I was swimming every day. I was climbing these ruins, so getting a lot of exercise too. Anyway, I, this is a long way of saying Greece is amazing, and if you have the resources, you've got to go. All right, John, great to have you here, my friend, and congratulations on this new book. It's just wonderful. There is so much to get to with you. You, including some politics. I want to talk to you about the Biden economy and inflation. But before we do that, I think so many people are intrigued by your story because you truly are the American dream. So let's start there. You were born in Greece on a Greek island and you came to the U.S. with your parents at six months old. Take it from there. I Well, my, my, uh, my two grandfathers came to America in 1913. They were looking for the streets paved with gold. Well, the joke I say is it took me 100 years to find those streets. Uh, and uh, uh, But all the immigrants, or whether Italians, whether they were Greeks, or whether uh, they were uh, uh, whatever background, in the 1900s was a big wave of immigration. And both my grandfathers, my father's grandfather, uh, came in 19, they both came in 1913, uh, but he died of the pandemic in 1918. 
So when we had the pandemic here, I was thinking about that. My God, John Katzmatidis died in 1918, and that was his name too. Mm -hmm. And I was worried about that. I said, I better stay alive. Uh, and uh, my other uh, grandfather uh, uh, came from Constantinople, uh, which was a Greek city at one time. Uh, and he came on a uh, Turkish passport. And uh, he came to America and uh, he uh, flourished. Uh, I remember he took me to my first New York Yankee game uh, when I was six years old. So uh, my father uh, stayed in the old country to help his three sisters and his mother because somebody had to stay behind to mm -hmm. feed them. Mm -hmm. And uh, after World War II, he went back to his island uh, he was working. He ran a lighthouse by himself on this uh, on, on this island by himself for, for 17 years to earn a few lira to feed his sisters and his mother. And uh, uh, after World War II, he went back to his island, uh, married my mom. And that's a whole big story I'm going to tell you someday because we're looking to do a sequel to my book talking about my mom's life. Uh, and... Um, uh, he had me, and uh, he was six months late bringing me to America. Mm. See, I, I could have ran uh, with Donald uh, for president or something. <laughs> yeah, I yes, I know. Late, so. If you had been born here, you could have. Yeah. 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 Uh, and uh, it's uh, look only in America, the land of opportunity. And my book has been bought by many grandfathers, many grandmothers for their grandkids. Uh, many mothers and fathers for their kids, because my mission is if it give can give some kids inspiration, uh, then 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 it's worth writing the book, um, and, and that's what the book is all about. That anybody in America, if you work hard, keep your nose clean, uh, and uh, that America is the place where you can make it, and. Uh, that that's that's the key item uh and somebody on page 255 uh so many statements i put out failure is not an option if you're working 100 and 100 hours a week to succeed in your business and you're not succeeding you better work 120 hours uh and it, it goes on it gives so many tips on to kids and a lot of kids have been inspired well, let, let me stop you there, John, because I, I do want to talk about the American dream with you in, in just a minute. But everything that you're expressing now really comes from your core values. What kind of values did your parents instill in you? I, and I know you for years and Margot and your beautiful family. So I know their values of faith and family and education. How did those values and other values really create the man that you are today and give you that kind of ambition and drive to build the American dream? Well, there was a lot of values instilled, instilled in me by my mother and my father, which is a big advantage by having both. Uh, and uh, uh, never do anything that's going to ruin the family name. So you always had that, in the, I always had that in the back of my head. Never do anything that's going to ruin the family name. And my father lived by that. My mother lived by that. Uh, and 
uh, you know, I, I try to instill that in, into my kids. Uh, what I said about, I'm, I was lucky to have a mother and a father. You know, Mr. Bob Morgenthau uh, trained me uh, to be, uh, you know, and I succeeded him as chairman of the Police Athletic League. And we had 40, 50,000 kids uh, in our inner cities. And I've been trying to work hard to save them. And I remember uh, going to uh, police athletic league uh, events where we had 100 kids in that, standing around. And Commissioner Kelly or Commissioner Bratton would, 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 would say to me, uh, look at those kids. And I would say, how many of them can we save? Can we save 20 of the 100? Can we save 30 of the 100? And try to instill, um, uh, you know, values into them. And we don't want them going on the wrong, on, on the, and inspire them, not, uh, not going on the wrong road. Because you know what? Senator Moynihan once wrote a, 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 a piece, a paper, that one of the problems in our inner cities one of our problems was those kids only had uh, 30% of those kids only had one mother or, or one father to take care of them. Well, the problem is worse now. Mm-hmm. 30 years after he wrote that paper, and now it's 70% of those kids only have one father or one mother. And if they leave school, if we don't have the police athletic league, you know what happens? They go hang up hang out in the local candy store, the local pizzeria, and they meet the wrong people. So we're trying to instill the right thing to kids, whether they're my kids, whether they're your kids, or whether they're, they're somebody else's kids, whether they're, they're, they're from police athletic league or the boys clubs or, or whatever. How, because the kids are our future, uh, Monica. And if we don't, and right now, I, we, you know, me and you, we talk to Dr. Ben Carson all the time, and he's worried about our kids learning in the future and how to teach them to, to, to learn, to keep their nose clean, and to succeed in America. Uh, and that's, that's my mission, is to have more kids succeed in America and save our country. You know, I just want to tell everybody that John Katsimatidis is one of the most generous people you will ever meet in your life. He has a heart of gold, which you can hear. It comes across in everything he's saying with us today and in everything he does. And I, I know this firsthand because I'm his longtime friend. Um, he is exceedingly generous and he supports law enforcement. He supports the police. He loves New York City. He loves America. But what he is saying now about our kids, this is critically important. And John, I cannot thank you enough for what you're doing to support America's children here in New York City, New York State, but around the country as well. Because the left for decades has been intervening with our kids to indoctrinate them, to destroy the nuclear family, to drive our cities into collapse. And we see it here in New York City. You talk about it all the time on WABC and elsewhere. So what you are doing to try to intervene on the 
other side with children just to make sure that they have a decent life, that they have decent values that they can learn from and, and absorb and then live off of. You know, that is the Lord's work, what you were doing. And John Katsimatidis puts his money where his mouth is. And we cannot thank you enough for doing what you're doing. Well, thank you, Monica, and thank you for everything you do, because you believe in the same values, and and uh, we have to do what we have. I, I think our country is in trouble. Uh, I think under uh, uh, President Biden, we have gone the wrong direction. I worry about our borders. I worry about the, the amount of fentanyl uh, and drugs coming in through those borders that are killing the kids. You know, in in... in uh, the Afghanistan war, the Korea war, and the, and the Vietnam war, over th- those years and years, 100,000 Americans died. In the last 12 months, over 100,000 Americans have died from fentanyl being shipped from the Mexican border. It's just, it's unbelievable. And, you know, to to this point, John, these are very troubled and troubling times for the country. You've just written this memoir, How Far Do You Want to Go?, about your American dream experience and coming from literally nothing and becoming a billionaire and and creating all of these businesses where you have hired thousands and thousands of Americans over the years. You are a job creator. You have lived the American dream. But my question to you is, as you look around now, do you believe that the American dream still exists? I believe the American dream exists, but we have to save it. I think uh, with the elections coming up in uh, in New York City, 51 out of 51 city council seats are up this November. And if we don't save New York with common sense, I don't care that Democrats or Republicans, as long as they have common sense, these people that, that want to defund the police. I jokingly say on the air, uh, Monica, let's turn off nine. The people who want to defund the police, turn off 911 in their city council district. And see how much they want to defund the police. I mean, it's it's crazy, and and we got our borders. I believe in immigration, but just like we had Ellis Island, Monica, that we have to check check and balance. We don't want to let drug lords in. We don't want to let terrorists in. We don't want to let. We want people that come into America that love America and want to work hard. We can't have open borders. Uh, of just uh, just coming in, not knowing who they are and what diseases they're bringing in. I can't, uh, I can't believe how the president of the United States, how a Homeland Security secretary can allow those borders to just bring in people and just cross the borders, bring in drugs, bring in diseases without having a checks and balances system. Ellis Island. Everybody got checked if that if they love America and if they make sure they don't have diseases. And we got to we got to come back to those days, Monica. 
Well, and you know, all of those uh, policies are being inflicted on us on purpose, because if they weren't, the Biden administration would have changed course by now, and they haven't. So that tells you all of this is a deliberate takedown of the country. And in addition to everything you laid out, John, we've got high taxes, we've got stifling regulation, uh, we've got all of these, the collapse of law and order, your big police supporter, law enforcement, but all of these things are burying the American dream, or at the very least, making it much more difficult for Americans to build that dream today. My, my next question is about the title of your book, because it's called, How Far Do You Want to Go? Lessons from a Common Sense Billionaire. Do you believe, I mean, especially looking at younger generations here, do you believe that Americans are still, by and large, ambitious enough to seek out and then execute on the American dream? Yes, I believe there's a large number of Americans, whether they're immigrants or whether they're American-born, that want to succeed. And those are the people that we want to help. They can succeed in America and, and, and become millionaires and billionaires. And someday, if inflation is large enough, a trillionaire. <laughs> but... but uh, uh, it's um, the the book can be purchased in Amazon or they can be purchased in BarnesandNoble.com. It's how far do you want to go? And if you order it from WABCRadio.com, I will sign every book that gets ordered from WABCRadio.com. And 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 you know what I the joke I say, Monica? If it's autographed by me and you buy it through there, then uh, if you read it and you want to resell it on eBay, it's worth twice as much with my signature. <laughs> yes, because you do have a heart of gold, and you're an amazing, amazing man. Uh, before we let you go, John, let me just uh, get your sense of where we are in the Biden economy. Uh, we got an inflation report today: three point two percent inflationary rate. What's your sense of where we're headed here? Right, right now, if the Federal Reserve uh, is, I think they should start bringing down interest rates because 3.2% is an acceptable number. If they keep increasing interest rates, then it's going to hurt the rest of the economy. It has already hurt the real estate industry. Who is going to buy a house, Monica, if you have to pay 7% interest? Who is going to construct a new building for affordable, non-affordable, for 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 uh, uh, for people, if they have to pay. I'm paying eight percent interest on 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 the condo building we're building for five hundred million dollars down in Florida. I mean, uh, I can afford to do it, but other people can't. So interest rates have to come down. The banks are worried for their own existence, so they stop lending. Mm-hmm. So. And if the banks are worried about their own existence, that's a problem. And, they, you know, they put out Signature Bank uh, and uh, First uh, Republic in New York. They put the, the feds put them out of business. And maybe they should have looked at twice before doing that. Maybe they, they you know, but it, it, it's a problem area. Uh, America uh, uh, wants to succeed. I think the uh, I think the interest rates have to come down. And the other thing that's going to bring down uh, uh, inflation is if uh, President Biden increases the amount of oil being produced in the United States, Alaska, and Canada. 
We have 300 years worth of oil. And, and, and why are we giving the money to Russia? And why, why are we giving the money to the OPEC nations? Russia is fueling their war on Ukraine using the oil money we're giving them and allowing them to have $85 oil. Russia has started a war through the Wagner Group on five nations in Africa that the American people don't even know about yet. And they're raising the Russian flag in five nations in Africa in the last two weeks. And, and, and the American uh, public, the New York Times or, or the Washington Post, is not publicizing this. Yeah. So there's no, they're, they're taking our money and, and waging war on other nations. And that's what uh, President Biden has to realize, that he has to increase the, the production of oil in, in here. If we increase the production in Canada, United States, Alaska, we could bring down oil to $55, $65. And guess what? It'll starve the Russians. We will beat them economically instead of beating ourselves. Right now, the people are suffering. President Biden said that uh, he wants to take care of the poor. Well, the poor and the middle class are suffering because they're paying a very high price for food, a very high pr price for gasoline and a very high price for the heating oil, etc. Bring the price of oil down and we'll starve. Let's starve the Russians instead of feeding the Russians to feed their wars. Well, you know, you call yourself a common sense billionaire. And John, you were exactly that because you just laid out common sense. But this administration is not about common sense. So uh, while that is excellent common sense foreign policy and economic advice, I doubt Joe Biden is going to take it. But uh, good for you for laying it out so the American people understand. Yeah, there's well, an there, there's an election next year. Yeah, let me be one last question before we let you go. Do you anticipate that we are going to enter a re, an economic recession later this year or into next year? The American people do not want a recession. If the if the Federal Reserve continues to raise interest rates, they they're the ones that are going to cause the recession. Very interesting. And then, of course, that has big political implications because we do have a major election uh, happening next year. Well, I would love to bring you back on this show to talk about all of that and more, John. But I want to thank you so much for being with us today. The new book is fantastic. It is such a great and important read. It's called How Far Do You Want to Go? Lessons from a Common Sense Billionaire. It's available wherever you get your book. So go, go get it, including WABC Radio. Radio.com. You can get an autographed copy from John Katsimatidis himself. Draw, John, you are such a gem. You're a true American dream story. I'm blessed to call you and Margo and your family friends. And I want to thank you so much for joining us. God bless. Monica, thank you. Thank you for having me. Look forward to our next dinner. I can't wait. John Katsimatidis, everybody. What a huge show, am I right? I mean, all our shows are huge, but today's... How did you like that monologue on the Obamas? I'm telling you, that is one for the books. <laughs> okay, I outdid even myself.
with that monologue. Thank you so much for joining me today, as always, and for checking out our phenomenal sponsors. Have a wonderful weekend, and I will see you right back here on Tuesday. We've got blockbuster shows coming up next week, all of the breaking news coming at us, as always. Plus, we're going to be joined by some major podcast hosts who are pure fire. So you're not going to want to miss a second of next week either here on the Monica Crowley podcast. Be well, enjoy your weekend, and I'll see you then. Mm -hmm.